Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Stephen Hewson. In the programme this week, we discuss just how racist is New Zealand sport. Racial slurs were hurled at England fast bowler Jofra Archer during the first test at Mount Maunganui, prompting New Zealand cricket to launch an investigation and officially apologise to Archer. But is the incident simply an anomaly or symptomatic of a bigger issue? We're joined on the programme today by former Silver Fern and Black Fern and now MP Louisa Warm. Football fern Sarah Gregorius, who's now with the International Football Players Association based in the Netherlands. Columnist Hamish Bidwell and RNZ sports journalist Barry Guy. Welcome to you all. So, how racist is New Zealand sport? Well, England all-rounder Ben Stokes says not so. Stokes, who grew up in New Zealand before heading to England, says he's reassured Archer the racial taunts he was subjected to aren't representative of the country. What New Zealand represents is how much support that Joff has had um, you know, not just from the New Zealand cricket team, but from New Zealand in general after that incident. Um, Joffre has received a huge amount of support from us as the players um, and as a squad. And, you know, that's the main thing for us is, is knowing that, um, well, it's making him aware that, you know, we've got his back in, um, in a, you know, a pretty hor- horrific incident. Um, something that shouldn't happen at sport or in the world in general in 2019. That's England all-rounder Ben Stokes. Hey, Mish, if we start with you, is Ben Stokes right? He may be, but there's no putting the genie back in the bottle, is there? It's, it's happened. Um, you can say all you like about what New Zealand is or isn't or would like to think it is, but the fact is the incident occurred and we're all shamed by it. Um, it tarnishes the reputation of this country. Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I think everyone probably is as well. Um, it's just it's just really disappointing and sad that these things happen, but unfortunately they do. I mean, you know, people send their children to this country and, and they go home dead, you know what I mean? Um People go and practice their religion in this country and they're shot. You know what I mean? We'd like to think we're a very tolerant um, country, but unfortunately some of the things that have happened this year suggest otherwise. Louisa, uh, Ben Stokes' comments there, I mean, what what springs to mind when when you hear those? Look, the reality is racism racism exists globally. Racism exists in New Zealand. uh, And sport is just a part of our general society. So for us to deny that it exists is a bit like... Uh, what Hamish just said, sexism exists, misogyny exists, homophobia exists. Uh, but I think in this specific instance, um, it's obviously uh, been called out. So well done, Mr Archer. Uh, he shouldn't have to put up and tolerate with uh, any form of degradation. He's there to play a sport and to represent his country. And we actually have this theory that everyone who goes is there for the sport uh, and is going to, you know, I guess enjoy that sport in a manner that doesn't degrade anybody. But uh, if we think that uh, we're not racist, then we're absolutely deluding ourselves. Do you sense that this is something, I mean, it, it's always been been there, at, but now it's been called out, or is it, is it coming to a head more so? I mean, why, why now? Oh, why now? Because you've got an international cricketer uh, of high esteem uh, who tweeted about it, quite frankly. Uh, and so it's created a, oh my gosh, this happens in New Zealand. I mean, the reality 
as it happens everywhere. Uh, I think us uh, now having it exposed then calls on us to, to be um, proactive about it and do things about it. Uh, from my perspective, banning people or saying, you know, oh, this doesn't happen here is completely unhelpful. We all just need to acknowledge that it does uh, and actually say it's unacceptable. So if you want to come and watch the cricket, if you want to be part of the enjoyment of competition between two nations who are battling uh, and trying to be victorious, then come along and, and join in that context. But if you want to come and if you want to be sexist, racist, homophobic, uh, actually you have no place in our game, and I think that's fantastic. The shame of it is is that the player himself had to call it out. I think um, if he hadn't done, no one would have mentioned it. We would never have known, and that's that's troubling. I mean, I I went to the game as a spectator on one of the, on one of the days, and it's, it's hard. I, I genuinely sort of wrecked my conscience. Could I have confronted someone if I'd heard that? You know, there were... There are a few people there, you know, fairly boozed up. Um, it was hot. Um, it was sort of drowsy atmosphere. You know, a few people wanting to compete with the Barmy Army by shouting the, the odd daft thing out. But I didn't hear anything like that. But if I had, would, would I have had the balls, to be quite frank, to go up and say to that person, actually, pal, we're not having that here? Oh, if you, if you, sorry, sorry Lewis, so go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, our sports stadiums uh, in the last uh, four or five years have been incredibly proactive. If you go now, they actually have on the big uh, TV screens, uh, if anyone um, is doing anything that uh, disrupts the game or they're intoxicated or uh, they're harassing or bullying people, text this number, our security people will come and we will deal with these people. So cricket obviously isn't as advanced as, I mean, I'll put it out there, rugby. Because uh, rugby's had to confront these issues, uh, more about sexism and homophobia. But actually, you know, I think all of us have uh, a responsibility, a duty of care uh, to stamp this out. And I think being a bystander and thinking, oh, that person, you know, that we don't agree with them, but we're not going to say anything, that time is gone. I mean, we've been called out as a society, and now uh, we're in, it's incumbent on us to actually confront issues like this when they happen. It's interesting, though, because that security presence during the last um, cricket summer extended to people bringing banners to the ground in peaceful protest about the selection of Scott Kugeline in the New Zealand team and having those removed and being sort of stood over by security and having them themselves ejected from the ground. And that's, that's the other side of it. I mean, they weren't being offensive. They just were pointing something out in a peaceful, quiet fashion, which I, you know, do or don't endorse. I mean, that's, it was their right to do so. And I felt that the, in that instance, the security was, was heavy-handed. The comments that this person apparently said on the bank, uh, if it's correct, are quite shocking. And if, if he said it that Archer could hear it, you would think that other people could hear it. Yeah. At any other sport that I perhaps would have gone to, I mean, that person would have been bloody grabbed by the scruff. I, you know, I was a little bit disappointed though, the, the lack of reaction from anyone else. I don't know, maybe he was in an area where there weren't other people, but the mere fact that there wasn't a reaction, Archer could hear it and no one else did or did but didn't do anything is perhaps the, the most shocking part of this. Sarah, I mean, your, your thoughts around this? I mean, you're obviously in the Netherlands at the moment. I mean, how, how much of a, a handle have you got on, on, on what's unfolded? Yeah, well, I've been sort of reading and hearing about what occurred in New Zealand at the cricket, but I think being over here in Europe, these racist incidents at sporting events is very topical at the moment, and, and it's a huge issue. And it's been, obviously, I work in football, and it's been a huge story in football recently, and, and how do we respond and how do we deal with these incidents? And they're ugly, and I think you have to remember that 
you know, players are human beings in the first place and, and this is their workplace, the sporting field, and, and to have to face this type of ugly and hateful discrimination is really quite quite tragic. And I kind of echo the sentiment that you guys said earlier about, you know, the people around them not calling it out because I think in all walks of life, if you hear something like that, if you hear a discriminatory or an inflammatory comment like that, you know, the standard you walk past is the one that you accept. So, you know, the fact that it wasn't really called out by those around them as well, I think um, isn't a great sign either that the incident occurred and that it wasn't really kind of pulled into line by by other people is, is disappointing. So I think that the topic in itself, it, it goes beyond New Zealand. It's a global one. It's a societal one. And it's um, it's not just always about racism either. It's homophobia, it's misogyny and all forms of discrimination. Sarah, I'd be interested in your thoughts on, on the England football team, for instance. There was a, a recent international they played where the players were subjected to racist taunts and they had a long debate in the dressing room at halftime about do we set a... Uh, do we send a message by, by staying in here and not coming back out to resume the match, or do we send a better message by going out and thrashing these guys? I mean, what, what do you do as a football team in that situation, do you think? Yeah, I think it's really personal. I think the conversations that you have in the dressing room with the players that are you know, being the most affected by it are, are really important to get their gauge and their point of view uh, because it's it's very personal the way that it's felt. I think what I, what I find really sad is that it... it relies on the players to you know sh- show some form of activism i think the institutions have to do a better job i think we have to find better ways of dealing with it because ultimately to have it fall on the shoulders of the victims the ones who are being abused to actually take a stand is is really unfortunate and takes a huge amount of of strength of character and the way the england players dealt with it at that time was to go out and absolutely send a message and, and thrash the opposition which they did and and they were able to speak I thought really eloquently and articulately about it afterwards, which takes, you know, incredible character. But at the same time, we shouldn't have to rely on player activism to deal with this. Well, that's what I wanted to get to next. Discussions like these, are they worthless? Are they are they worthwhile? Is it better that we're having a discussion or should we actually be doing more than just, just talking about things? Where does it start, do you think? vital. Uh, and I agree uh, with Sarah that uh, we can't rely on player activism. We need codes to be proactive. We need to be to have them communicate with the people that enjoy their game. Obviously, cricket's not like rugby. Uh, there are demography uh, differences. There are not a lot of Māori and Pacific people who go to those events. So actually confronting racism in a context like cricket is incredibly relevant because we're going to need, and I'll put it out there, Pākehā New Zealanders to call out other Pākehā New Zealanders. Louisa, you've, you've mentioned there about rugby and sexism, homophobia. Do you think cricket has a racist or racism problem? Well, it's about who, the demography of the sport. Like how many Māori Pacific players play cricket? How many Māori and Pacific people watch cricket? Now, I love cricket. I played cricket. But when you look at the crowd and you scan around, it's not like the same audience at a, a Warriors match. It's not the same audience at uh, a New Zealand um, test match. And so there are different challenges, I believe, in cricket that probably expose racism more than any other code, as has soccer uh, or football in in, in Europe. And so uh, the fact that we um, don't seem to realise or haven't been proactive enough to anticipate uh, that these issues may arise, and I guess in the climate of today, they're intolerable. None of us want to put up with it, and as Sarah said, players shouldn't have to. They're there, uh, a lot of them professionals, so they are employed, and the codes have to provide a context where they're safe, but also the people who go and watch the sport are safe as well. Sarah, how 
or what have you, or have you encountered racism in your football playing? Me personally, yes. uh, not directly. Um, no, I haven't had an incident where I've I felt like I've experienced like racism directly. I think indirectly, yes, uh, in my career for sure, and and obviously being a female athlete. Uh, very familiar with the other form of discrimination that being on the basis of sex. So I, I can't really point to an incident and, and be like, yeah, this is, I felt really marginalized because of the color of my skin. But um, yeah, certainly felt it in other areas. We've all talked about this uh, as a, a societal problem. But if you, if you, when you're young, I'm just trying to think, I mean, the three of us here, of course, have had kids playing at, at a level. My two girls, of course, with, with netball and other things, I've never really noticed anything. But, I mean, chaps, you, you know, you're all helping out on the fields uh, when kids are playing. Do you, do you notice? Do you, get, do you get anything? Because apparently there are parents out there that are hurling all sorts of things out onto the field, racism or, or, or whatever. I mean, is that where perhaps, you know, some of the problems are? Well, I think it's tough discussing this. We're sitting here as three white middle-aged Males getting getting people on to, on this program to to talk about it wasn't really straightforward, and it was interesting that I think um, Ben Stokes made the comment at the media session yesterday with New Zealand cricket. He was asked whether, oh, has England moved on from this, and and he made the valid point. Well, well, we shouldn't be moving on from this. We should be talking about this, uh, and getting people to talk about it. And obviously, we talked about Joffrey Archer calling it out, and and it shouldn't be left to him to do that. But there's the other side of that, people actually discussing it. Uh, some people are obviously prepared to, and those people are on the programme today. But but there's the other side of it that uh, are trying to bury their head in the sand. The other thing, Barry, that you mentioned is in terms of taking um, well, a kid's sport, is I, I take my son to uh, matches at places like Westpac Stadium. It's It goes back to what we were talking about before, about calling things out. It's the language. It's not that people are being racist around. It's just people are drunk, and they're using Fs and Cs and all that kind of malarkey. And I've got a nine-year-old with me, and... He's looking a bit frightened, and do, again, I just don't have the confidence. I'm not a shrinking violet either to confront people and say, "Hey, pal, your language is a disgrace." There's children here, you know, pipe down. Well, yeah, that, that's uh, one of the issues, isn't it? Because uh, who knows, this guy in Mount Monganui um, could well have been drunk, and you, you just don't know what uh, reaction you're going to get. But, but I, I agree. I mean, uh, more has to be done, and 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 talking about it. Um, it will help, but you know we need everyone talking about it, don't we? Louisa, what? what sorry, go on. I was going to say, in terms of that last um, scenario, I mean, I think it's viable these days to have family-friendly zones where we know that kids are going in there. There's limited consumption of alcohol. I mean, we use alcohol as an excuse all the time uh, for people's behaviour, but alcohol isn't an excuse. People who consume it at these uh, events have to be responsible enough to look after. Uh, the use of the alcohol and if they end up uh, getting to a point where they are racially or uh, otherwise abusing others. I mean, that's why you need the, who do we text? You know, security, please come and take these people away because they're spoiling it for the rest of us. Um, And actually they need to be told if they want to come back and enjoy uh, the competition, then they have to moderate their behaviour or we don't want you here. Sarah, do you get a sense that, I suppose, the battle against racism or sexism or homophobia, is it being won? I mean, it's always going to be an ongoing battle, but, I mean, do you get a sense that there is success? 
Yeah, I think I'm a, a relatively optimistic person. I think the more that we have these types of conversations and the more soul searching that takes place and the more I suppose it gets called out, you, you kind of hope that it gets more and more pushed out and at least marginalized to the point where it just becomes totally intolerable. So even if a person comes to a sporting event or any event uh, with hate in their heart, with uh, wanting to make those types of comments, I agree with Louisa. I don't think alcohol is an excuse. I think obviously something is present in that person. If it comes out after a few beers, then it's it's still in there. Uh, that they just know that they're in, a, in an environment where it's completely intolerable. So I actually do think the more that it gets called out and the more conversations of this nature that we're having and public conversations too, uh, I do think we are slowly slowly winning but this doesn't mean that there isn't more that we can do louisa are you as optimistic oh absolutely i mean we have to be vigilant though and we have to be a lot more proactive i mean it seems that there's been a whole lot of reaction from a whole lot of people after this event but it's almost like we need to anticipate these things and actually have really clear policies and procedures and the same with the you know the issue with the the England, um, soccer team's experience. I mean, in some ways, the system should have dictated and uh, we should have protected those players and said, actually, we're not going to let you go out. And sorry, fans, you've all bought tickets, but because of your behaviour, the game's off. I wonder, too, in this instance, how much of the, the hurt is the fact that it's a visiting player? I, I, I don't I don't want to be too mischievous, but I wonder if a Pacifica player in one of our super teams was spoken to in this way at a rugby match, whether people would go, well... Hard luck, mate. Or whether they'd actually be as horrified as they are because it's a, a visiting player. I, I, I hope the answer is that they would, but I suspect maybe they wouldn't. I mean, and that's a good question to um, to ask. And obviously, we've had examples in Australia, the Adam God situation, him being thrown bananas uh, when he's left the field. There's an incredible documentary about his experience. Uh, and I think that uh, to some degree, um, in cricket at least, we have been sanitised because obviously we have an amazing... Pacific Island player called Ross Taylor, who we all love and embrace. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't matter who said it. I mean, I've, I've seen the conjecture in the media that it may have been a visiting uh, British uh, supporter. But actually, um, it's even more incumbent on us as uh, an audience and as New Zealanders to say, hey, don't speak like that. We don't like it. We'll go get the security and actually we want you gone. Because uh, if you're going to come here and behave like that, you know, we're not going to stand by and allow you to, uh, yeah, to, to get in, into Archer's heat. We want to see him play well. And um, I do think it's a wake-up call for all of us. Uh, you mentioned just uh, making people aware, people like Ross Taylor, uh, to the sports, you know, they do say that they... Uh, have these announcements about uh, respect and, and the likes, but we we perhaps need to get some of these people like the Ross Taylors and some uh, some rug, various rugby people to uh, start a you know a campaign perhaps just to to make everyone aware of it and uh, the importance of it. So you know maybe the more could be done to um, you know embarrass those that do it and uh, and get them prosecuted in some way. I agree, and I think Sport New Zealand does have a role. And obviously we have players like Kevin Mielamu Post, his all-black career has become an ambassador for the sport. And who's going to racially abuse Kevin Mielamu? We love the man. He played for the team that we all adore. And I do think uh, it's time that we started, as I said before, being a lot more proactive uh, and the codes all working together. I mean, you know, these are 
good opportunity for us. And now it depends how we want to collectively respond uh, to an issue that has obviously gained international uh, coverage and people are looking at us again about how we're going to react. Also, don't want to forget, I, I say this as a player myself, don't want to forget uh, the duty of care that we owe to the athletes as well. I think um, we, we've heard about this issue, but God knows how many issues like this sort of fly under the radar uh, where players just sort of put up with it um, and don't either don't feel comfortable reporting on the issue or don't have a platform to do so. So I think also how we respond and, and how we wrap our arms around the players who maybe have experienced this is really, really important too and, and how we respond to that at an individual level because I think if you're subjected to this type of thing repeat, repeatedly, it's going to really affect you, perhaps your mental health and well-being and, and your, actually your relationship to the sport in general and to sport in general. So I think also I don't want to lose sight of the fact that we've got people who are going through this and that we really do have to think about how we respond to them individually, not only how we respond in terms of prosecuting and institutionally, like what we can do to, to tackle the, the bigger issue, but I think also making sure that we take care of our players as people first as well. Does that also go down to the lower level, say it's at school sport, where, I mean, other kids today, the teenagers... Uh, brave enough in some way to speak out you know I'm just thought, thinking back to my times when I was, I was in various teams events you know you just you know um, you were part of the team and you know you just sort of uh, accepted whatever was said and you carried on and you didn't want to speak out I mean uh, is the the younger generations uh, they have the confidence these days to um, you know take stands on these various things yeah I actually find that the younger generation uh are really aware of things like language and, and really aware of other perhaps minorities more so than maybe days gone by. So again, I, like, I'm really hopeful. I think that uh, they have a really good sense of right and wrong and they have sort of access to a lot more information about other races and other cultures and diversity and things like that. So I think there's a different level of awareness and, and you hope that that means that they are a little bit more empowered to speak up if they hear something or see something that, that isn't right. Sarah Gregorius, Louisa Wall, Hamish Biddle and Barry Guy, thank you very much for your time today. We'll, we'll wrap it up there. Five Grand Slam champions will play in January's ASB Women's Tennis Classic in Auckland. And it seems players appear to be doing a lot of the work themselves in helping tournament director Carl Budge assemble the strongest field ever. Former world number one Caroline Wozniacki, the 2017 French Open champion Yelena Ostapenko and Russia's Svetlana Kuznetsova have all confirmed their attendance this week, joining two other Grand Slam winners in Bianca Andreescu and Serena Williams, who also provide the tournament with two top ten players for the first time. Carl Budge told Barry Guy that word of mouth among the players has helped tremendously. It's a great sign of um, of just how well viewed the ASB Classic is at the moment. I think uh, Momentum's a wonderful thing in sport in every which way, and um, for whatever reason, the ASB Classic seems to have it in spades at the moment. That uh, you know, the, the the reputation in the dressing room is incredibly strong. That the players are our biggest advocates, and uh, if we can keep them uh, saying wonderful things about us, then uh, you know we'll continue to get people wanting to come here and, and see what this is all about. So it's just as much the coming to the place as it is the build up to the Australian Open. Oh look, the, the, you know we've got to be really realistic around what we are, and you know I'm, I'm unashamedly um, have always been very clear that this is a build up to the Australian Open. I think the moment we made that 
um, you know, that definition that we are and accept it rather than trying to pretend anything otherwise. We're, we're able to then utilise that as a strength. I'm, I'm not sure that's a weakness. Um, you know, we, we are the two weeks before the Australian Open. You know, we're never going to compete prize money, ranking points, prestige or anything like that with a, with a Grand Slam. It's, uh, you know, all of the players focus on, uh, on four weeks a year. Um, so if we can help them be in the best possible position for the first of those four weeks in the year, then we'll be in a great spot to capitalise on it. And so you know, our, our focus has been, right, I'm, I'm not going to try and compete for money for you. Uh, what I'll do is give you the best opportunity for you to, to do your best in Melbourne where it will far eclipse anything I could have done in, uh, in this part of the world. You're saying this is sort of momentum that's been building up over the last few years, a word of mouth in the locker room and that sort of thing, that the ASB Classic in Auckland is a good one to go to uh, before heading to Melbourne. Yeah, look, I, I think you put yourself in a position to capitalise. And, you know, if I look at someone like Yelena Ostapenko, it's really easy for us to sit back and go, great, she's a Grand Slam champion, someone that's been in the top ten, great job getting her here. For, for me, I look at the work that was done four years ago when we first gave her a wild card. You know, we, we, we looked after Yelena Ostapenko when she was 17 years old, when no other tournament in the world was looking at her. Uh, so we, we formed that relationship early in the year. That's, that's rooted in her memory that, hey, these guys are with us when I was on the way up. Now that I've made it, I still look back really fondly on what those guys did for us. Uh, I think that's been our approach. You know, you, you'll hear me talk a lot. The moment we had Serena and Andreescu locked in this year, our focus switched to going, right, our job's actually kind of done for 2020. Now, now I'm going to start looking at who do we want to be leading the 2022-2023 ASB Classic. Uh, that's why we now start building the relationships with the likes of the Coco Goff and the Amanda Anderson Overs, etc. So we're, when they're now leading the sport in a couple of years' time, they're going, man, those guys looked after us three years ago. I, I want to keep going back there. That's ASB Classic Tournament Director Carl Budge talking to Barry Guy. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.